media and things like that. Uh, but uh, as believers in Christ, we are pilgrims here coming through this land. And our destination is not here on earth, but it's in heaven with Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I'm grateful for that. I was, I was contemplating on what to do tonight, and uh, I wanted to jump into the uh, book of Ephesians. And uh, the book of Ephesians is kind of like the, uh, the Alps of the New Testament. There's a lot of doctrinal um, uh, things. There's some very lofty things, and then it just it's a lot. And in order to prep and to prepare a little bit, I, I shifted gears. And we're going to be uh, going through the, the, the book of Titus instead. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, we're not going to go through the whole book tonight. We're going to go through one chapter. And uh, the way that I like to do this is we do uh, verse by verse, and we just kind of do a little bit of breakdown. And uh, a little bit about Titus. Um, Titus is a letter uh, that was written by Paul to his spiritual son, Titus. Uh, makes sense. And it was written around 63 to 64 A.D. And it chronologically, it fits between actually 1st and 2nd Timothy. So it goes 1st Timothy, Titus, 2nd Timothy. So if you were going to read them chronologically, that's the way it would go. 2nd uh, Timothy was Paul's last book, that or last letter that he wrote. Uh, matter of fact, I, I quoted that Sunday, you know, where he makes the, the point, hey, I have kept the faith, I have fought the good fight. And that's what he's telling Timothy right before he's beheaded. So um, I think it's kind of interesting that his last three letters uh, were written to encourage his spiritual sons in the faith. And I like that. How many know that uh, if you've been in this thing for a while, you ought to have some spiritual sons and daughters that you need to encourage and, and to just do like what Paul did. Uh, he was a, a true spiritual father spending his last bit of his time encouraging two young spiritual sons who were leading and pastoring. Both of them were pastoring in very difficult places, too. Uh, Timothy was there in Ephesus, and he dealt with some very, very tough situations. There's a, a lot that we know about spiritual warfare is brought out in Ephesians, and we'll get there. Uh, but Titus is in Crete, and, uh, and while he's there, Titus was indeed a, a Gentile. He was not of Jewish descent. He was actually a Gentile. Uh, and, um, and if you remember in the Acts 15 council, we talked about this, I've, I've been, as I've been going through this, the Acts 15 council where we had Paul and Barnabas and the guys from, uh, Antioch, uh, we, we call them kind of the grace base up there. That group met with Peter, James, and John who were based out of Jerusalem and, uh, they, they were having some issues, some conflicts in, in doctrine, but they met there. But in the process of meeting there, uh, they were, uh, Paul's, Paul's argument to them was basically, hey, how can Jews, Christian Jews, uh, make Gentiles follow the legalism of Judaism when you guys can't even keep it yourselves? And, th and I think part of the reason that he brought Titus there was he was a Greek. And he brought him there, uh, I think, as a point. But uh, they ended up leaving there. James stood up in defense of Gentiles there among that group. And a lot of people try to say there was consternation between Paul and Peter. I don't think that was the case. Uh, I believe that, that they, they met. Some, how many know that we could have disagreements and meet with people and still get along? Amen? Uh, we could still do that. I, I know the world says you can't, but you still can do that. 
and uh, you could agree to disagree, but that wasn't the case with these guys. They actually came together, and I think they, they sought out uh, doctrine. Uh, T- Titus was a preacher appointed by Paul to minister in Crete, and Crete is an island in the Mediterranean. It's approximately about 135 miles uh, long and about 30 miles wide, and this is what we know about the Cretes. They were a problematic people. Anybody know any problematic people? All right. And matter of fact, the Philistines who hassled Israel so much originally came from this island of Crete. So it it must be something in the water there. And uh, they believed in uh, at this time with Titus was there. They believed in Greek mythology. They believed that Zeus uh, had supposedly been born there at Mount Ida there on on Crete, one of the one of the mountains. And one of their own philosophers would say this about Crete, and Paul would quote him in the first chapter in verse 12. He says this, the Cretans are always liars, they're uh, they're evil, evil beasts, and they have slow bellies. You're a bunch of liars and a bunch of lazy people. That's not very good. If your philosophers are saying that about your people, that's not a very good thing, right? And so uh, he would say that, and commissioned to preach uh, there, Titus was, to a problematic people who were believers in Greek gods, and Titus had his work cut out for him. And I like this because Paul's just trying to encourage him. How many need a little bit of encouragement? How many need a little bit of encouragement? All right, I need a little bit of encouragement in my life, and I'm, I'm grateful for uh, spiritual fathers and people uh, that, that speak into my life. I got a phone call yesterday from uh, what I would say uh, a peer uh, somebody that's the same as me, and they called, and all they simply did was encourage me. And I need that, and you need that, and we all need that. And the theme of Titus is emphasizing good works. Um, and if you know, the, the theme of Timothy is about sound doctrine, but Titus is about good works. And there were leaders uh, who were in it for personal gain and their own personal interest. And oftentimes in, in churches, people do that. They'll lobby for position. They'll try to get into places for personal gain and personal interest. Let me tell you something. If your goal is your own personal interest and not the personal interest of Christ and what Christ wants you to do, you're missing the whole thing. Amen? And so there is an issue there at Crete, and it's a good reminder for us to hear these things to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. Let's pray real fast. God, I thank you for the day. God, I thank you, Lord, for your uh, mercy and grace. Lord, you've been so good to us. God, I pray, Lord, that as we break this book down, God, Lord, that your word would penetrate our hearts. God, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to us. God, Lord, you would help us to grow in you. Lord, in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. All right. Uh, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul And if you've been here at any length of time, I I like breaking down the greetings. Paul almost always greets the same way. Sometimes uh, if he's greeting in a in a very difficult way, he'll he'll throw out his credentials pretty hard when he greets the Galatians. He he's he's not as as he's he's a little bit more easygoing. But when he comes off strong, he'll throw them credentials down. An apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And. It was most likely after Paul's first imprisonment in Rome that he was finally able to visit Crete. He was finally able to go, go there. And there he would leave Titus to establish a work on the island. Um, so the next part of that verse says, For the sake of the faith of God's 
elect. If you have a King James Version, it actually reads according to the faith. Uh, I guess a better rendering or a better translation would be for the furtherance of the faith or to continue the faith, to keep it growing. In other words, I want to see Paul saying this. I want to see God's people go farther than they ever have and do more than they ever thought they could do in God. Amen. And that's my prayer. And I pray, hey, uh, Paul's saying this. I want to see the kingdom of God expanded and people deepened in their walk with God. And I don't know about you, but that's my hope as a pastor is to see you grow in God and to see the kingdom of God expand past our human borders, amen, and God to do his great work. And as a pastor, I say, hey, Lord, let me have a heart like Paul did right there in those words. It says this, the next portion of that says, and their knowledge of the truth which uh, uh, accords with godliness. And so... Truth which produces godliness. You could say it like that. Truth which produces godliness. The theme of this small epistle is that right there. Good works, or uh, and if you look this up, good works, if you uh, go through this little three-chapter book, eight times you'll see good works mentioned in, in three chapters. Eight times, six, six uh, are, it actually says works or good works, and two more which says uh, uh, reverent in behavior or adorned to the doctrine of God. And how many know that God wants you to do good things? Amen. Uh, Verse 2 says this. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So Paul's intent is that people do better, go further in this glorious hope of eternal life. Amen. In in John chapter 17, verse 3, it says this. Jesus would say, he would pray this. As the high, pre, high priestly prayer, he'd say, and this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent. Well, I want you to look at this. In Genesis chapter 5, after uh, Enoch, he, he had his son Methuselah, and it records that he began to walk with the Lord. I don't know about you, but I think that would be pretty cool to be able to walk with the Lord. I think that would be pretty neat. I think most of us would be uh, changed if we were to walk with the Lord for just a few moments. But Enoch, he began to walk with the Lord, and as he walked with the Lord, you know what? God just decided, he's like, hey, I'm just going to take you. I'm going to take you up to heaven. Man, I think that's pretty awesome. And it was almost as if they were walking, and God said, hey, Enoch, we're closer to my home than your home, so why don't you just come, come on home? With me. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope, and I love that. And uh, this is eternal life, Jesus prayed, that they may know you, Father, not, not, our, uh, not geographically, but they would know him intim- intimately. And I love that. So verse 3 says this, And the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about that, verse 21, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, verse 21 says that. So to, to, uh, so, do, so do people when we go to church, when we drive to church, people often think, why are you going to church? Isn't that just foolishness to go sit there and sit in a seat and listen to somebody talk about God? Isn't it foolishness to go in and to lift up your hands and to worship God? A lot of people look at you and think, hey, there's better things to do with your time than coming here. 
and, 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 and the preaching of the word, but here's what happens. The preaching of the word causes our hearts to be healed. It causes our spirits to be filled and to be warmed. And this is what I say, let the world call me crazy. Because I'd rather be a part of God's kingdom than this world. And there's nothing like God's kingdom. I, I love this. Verse 4 says this, the beginning of that says, to Titus, and like, like Timothy, Titus was probably led to the Lord by Paul. How many were led to the Lord by somebody? All right. I, I want you to think about that. And, and once he was led uh, to the Lord by Paul, he traveled with Paul a lot. How many, have, how many still are in contact with the person that led you to the Lord? Anybody? I think that's awesome, and I think that's great. But what Titus, once he was led to the Lord, he follows Paul, and he goes, and remember I, I mentioned it, the first place he went was to the Acts, in Acts 15. He went down there to the council, and they were, they were talking about that. And, and let me tell you something. As a Gentile, he had more to lose when they went down to Acts chapter 15 than anybody else there. Because he was uncircumcised, and they were that's what they were arguing about there. The Jews said, hey, you had to be circumcised. And here's Titus, a Greek, going, I don't know how the outcome of this is going to be. This can't be good for me one way, you know. And so there he is there. That's the first place he goes with Paul. And then in Corinthians, he's there with, with Paul. And he was instrumental in raising money for the Corinthian church to help those hurting in Jerusalem. So this guy didn't just sit on his hands. He got busy doing what, what God wanted him to do. And after that, Paul sent Titus to Crete and there, uh, uh, then to a region known as Dalmatia. And there was 101 Dalmatians there. <laughs> no, Dalmatia is present-day Bosnia. And he would go there finally and, and minister there. And, and when, you, when you put together his, his ministry resume, he went to Jerusalem to deal with the controversy of, of circus, circumcision and legalism, and he was addressed there. Then he goes to Corinth to deal with a very difficult church. That they, they had all kinds of chaos going on there in Corinth. And when he's there, he's, he's helping to, to facilitate that. Then he goes to Crete where, where their own philosopher says there's a bunch of liars here and a, and a bunch of lazy people. So there's a lot, there's no shortage of issues there. Then he finally ends up in Bosnia or Dalmatia, and there he is. But Paul esteemed Titus highly, and God called Titus to be in the middle of it, to be in the thick of it. And oftentimes, I think sometimes we like to shy away from the tough times, but I think we've got to have a tenacity like Titus and say, hey, I, I, I believe, and I know that God is in me, and there's a boldness in me, and I can step into places that seem difficult, and God can use me to change the atmosphere around me. I love that. It says this, to Titus, my true child in the common faith. And as he did with Timothy, Paul calls Titus his child and a spiritual son. And I believe, and I believe the reason he does that is because he led him to the Lord and he's helping him and he's encouraging him. Next part of this says, uh, uh, my, true child in, or, uh, my true child in a common faith. Uh, next part says grace and peace. If you have a King James Version, it says grace, mercy, and peace. And, and, and he only says grace, mercy, and peace to Timothy and to Titus. All the other times, he always says grace and peace. Uh, uh, this is a typical greeting of Paul. He gives grace. He talks about grace. And he gives peace. And grace comes first, and, and then comes peace. Amen? Grace comes first, and then comes peace. 
The grace of God comes first, and then peace comes. And Paul, every time, if you, if you look, every, every book that he writes, he always says grace and peace. And the King James Version says grace, mercy, and peace uh, and, and to Timothy here in Titus. And, I, and the reason I think that, that he wrote mercy here in this, in this case was simply because he knew that, that Timothy and he knew that Titus were his spiritual sons. And can I tell you something? I have kids, and my kids need mercy sometimes. And as a spiritual father, or as even a physical father, there's times where I need to act in mercy towards my kids rather than wrath. And I think that's why Paul states this. He, he understands these guys are, are dealing with some tough situations, ministering in some tough places. And he says, hey, God's grace be with you. God's mercy be upon you. And may the peace of God go with you. I love that. It says this, from God the Father and uh, Christ Jesus our Savior. And so Paul bestows grace, mercy, and peace uh, uh, from from God the Father and Jesus Christ. And, and when I was reading this, I had to stop and I had to wonder why the Holy Spirit was not mentioned here. It talks about God the Father. It talks about Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, But I believe there's a great explanation in John chapter 16. Jesus taught us that when the Spirit came, he would not speak of himself. You know what the the Holy Spirit's goal is? To point you, to point me, to point others to Jesus Christ. You want revival? The Holy Spirit will point you to Jesus Christ time and time again. That's, that's, and that's Jesus' word. So while Paul is being inspired, look at this. While Paul is writing this, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's pointing people. He's pointing Titus and to us today. Hey, all this grace and all this peace, it comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Someone's trying to get a hold of me, and I don't know who it is, but I'm going to let it go. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is singular. It's simply this. You can write this down if you're a note taker, to point people to Jesus Christ. It's singular. So, so and this is interesting because the next, next portion of this, this chapter, it talks about the qualifications of an elder. It's interesting to me because here's what's happened here is, is Titus is, is establishing this church, and I'll get to the meat of what he's doing here, but he, he's needing some help. He's needing some structure here. How many know that we can't do things without structure? Sometimes, I mean, you have to have structure in your life. There's some things that you need to have structure with, and so it, he quickly goes, Paul, is he's, he's addressing an issue that Titus is having as a young minister, and he's saying, hey, you need to establish some elders in some areas and some places and some cities to make sure things are being done like they should be done. So he's helping him out here. He's being a spiritual father. He's saying, hey, you need to make sure there are some, let's just say, let's just call it like this. You need to make sure there are some lifeguards on the beach to make sure that people aren't drowning. And here's the qualifications of those elders, and, and this, is, uh, this is what he says, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might uh, put what remained into order. I reminded of this. I, I like the way that's worded. He says that this is why I left you in Crete. When I, uh, when I was 
19, when I was going to college, my parents were living in California. They were pastoring a church, and they left the church, and I remember I had a decision to make. Do I move with my parents across the nation, or do I stay in California? I don't know who was trying to get a hold of me, but I'm going to go ahead and just turn my phone off. How's that? Um. So I'm looking at this, uh, and, and so anyways, I look at this, and, and he says, I left you in Crete. And when my parents, when they left, they left me in California. I stayed, had zero to do with Tristan, I can promise you that. That's a joke. I felt the Lord was calling me to this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and I knew we were going to pastor a church in Indiana. No one else saw it. I saw it with faith. But my parents left me, and not many people could say that. Usually people leave, you know. But I, no, I left, my parents left me. But, but he left him there in Crete because Titus was, was, uh, was to set the church in Crete in order. He's there to help establish order, to help establish structure. And we could assume this, that Paul didn't start that church there. And, 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 and the reason why is because if Paul had started that church, he would have already had that structure in place. Because he did that time and time again. When they would get off structure, he would write letters, uh, you know, to the Philippians or to the, to the Galatians or to whoever and say, hey, you guys are off, off course here. This is how you fix it. So here, he just, he's trying to help Titus establish this. So who did start the church there? We don't know. We can't really be sure. But we do know this, that on the day of Pentecost, there were men there from Crete. Scripture says in Acts chapter 2, 11, it talks about men from Crete were there listed. And who's to say that day that they were not part of the 3,000 that were saved? And they didn't go home to Crete and, 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 and maybe start this church. And maybe they had a lot of zeal, but maybe they lacked a little bit of structure. So he says this, the next portion of scripture says, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And, uh, and this is what he did. He appointed elders versus having voting for elders because there's no room for political maneuvering and spiritual leadership. Oh, that was good. Paul says this, ordain the elders and, and appoint them. And, and, you know, it's crazy because if you go back to the Old Testament, God, Moses did the same thing. With a little help, you know, from his father-in-law, you know, he's having an issue. He needed structure, and, and he did the same thing. And he placed elders over the groups of 50, and then he placed elders over the groups of 100, and then he placed elders over the groups of 1,000. That's called structure. God's not, a, not the author of, of, of chaos. God's about structure. So look at this. Verse 6 says this. If anyone is above reproach, so this is a qualification for an elder, uh, this does not mean that an elder has to be perfect, because if that's the case, we're all disqualified. Does not mean you have to be perfect. Uh, that's good news for all of us. Just a person who strives to do what's right in the Lord's eyes. Because here's the deal. I make mistakes. You make mistakes on a daily basis. But God's grace is sufficient. Amen. I love that. Uh, it says this, the next qualification is the husband of one wife. No two wives. No polygamy. And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover some ground right here. This is good. If you're a note taker, you need to write this down, okay? 
Ministry must be established at home before we can have credibility in the church. Ministry must be established at home before we can have credibility in the church. You know, God ordained the family before he ordained the church. So that, that's the order that God did. God didn't establish the church in Genesis, but he did establish the family. And so uh, I, I read the story of this, the first man to climb Mount Everest without using an oxygen tank. And this is the guy from Italy. And, and this is what happened. He, he was so good at climbing mountains that he made it his life's effort to climb all the mountains that were above 26,000 feet. I don't even know if I could make it around a track one time running. But this guy, so here's what he did. But check this out. He, <laughs> this story's amazing because he climbed Mount Everest without using oxygen, climbed all these mountains without using oxygen. So what does he do? He locks himself out of his house in Italy, and he goes to climb the wall to break into his house, and he fell and broke his leg. It's amazing to me that this guy can do such great feats with mountains, but yet when he's at home, he trips and falls, and he hurts himself. Can I tell you this? Men and women oftentimes can conquer our careers, and we can do great things uh, outside the home, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but let me tell you something. If there's no balance in your home, and you go home, and you're failing your kids, and you have a successful career, you've missed it. Scripture says, and I know this is tough, this is tough, but Scripture says this, that those people whose houses are not in order are disqualified for ministry. That's tough. I know that's tough. That's not a word of condemnation, but look, it's a word of reprioritization. Get things right. Get things right in the home first, and then, Dad, Mom, get your home squared away. Get your kids grounded and walking with the Lord. When the doors are open, send them here. Get them in the Word of God. Dad, show your kids how Christ loves the church. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. Be long-suffering. Be kind. Sometimes that means bite your tongue. Sometimes that means eat a dinner that maybe not tastes so good and say, I love it. Moms, show your kids what it means to serve the Lord with gladness in your heart. What it means to, to go to the house of the Lord with joy in your heart. Ministry may extend beyond your family, but not before it is established within your family. I don't know about you, but that's a good reminder to me. And that's a good reminder for all of us. So train up your kids, mom. Train up your kids, dad. And other ministries will come, but it's, that's where it starts. Verse 7 says this. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Um, steward here, that means servant. Everyone say servant. We have, a, we have a lot of books on leadership, but not a lot of books on servanthood. Google it. You'll see. Uh, when men and, and when uh, we need men and we need women of great faith, but we also need men and women who will serve. 
I don't know about you, that we always need people to serve around this church. We'll find places for you to serve. You say, hey, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I can do. We'll find something for you to do. Let us, we'll find a gifting. We'll put you there. We'll put you to work. We need kids. We need people to help with our kids' classes. We need people to help, help us keep up with the property, to fill ministry spots, to serve in the media team, to do all kinds of things. Let me tell you something. God didn't, didn't call you to just sit and occupy a pew. Jesus was the greatest of all servants. He came to serve. He came to serve. And so we, 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 we too, in return, should serve. But here's what I know. Uh, uh, Jesus was the ultimate servant. But when we are busy serving, you know what? When I'm busy serving, it's hard for me to be arrogant and mad because I'm, I'm too busy serving to worry about little things. Look at this next portion of that scripture says, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Verse 8. But hospitable. I want to. I really want to focus in on this hospitable word. Everyone say hospitable. All right. Paul told Timothy that an elder must be hospitable. In First Timothy uh, three two, he says that. And here he tells Titus, an elder must love hospitality. He told Timothy, hey, you must be hospitable. But then in Titus, he says, hey, you must love hospitality. And I suggest that most of us don't love hospitality because we have a Martha mentality. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, remember, remember that Martha was frustrated with Mary. Remember, she was so frustrated with Mary because Mary was sitting there where Jesus was teaching. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and, and she's frustrated. She's like, Jesus, you need to tell that girl to get in here and help me because I am cooking in here. I got pots that are boiling over. I got toast that's burning, and I need some help in here. And it's crazy to me, see, and, I, I, and, and while many uh, have spoken uh, of the needful things that Jesus talks about there, he says, no, she, she's here, she's doing the things that are needed. But look at this, while many have spoken about the needful things that Jesus wanted, uh, was Mary at his feet. But I believe there's, there's something, and I believe that's important indeed, but I believe that Jesus is saying, hey, Martha, you're cooking in there, you're doing a whole lot, you're making a big deal about this. And all I wanted, look at this, Luke chapter 10, 42 says this. I think Jesus shows us something. All I wanted was one simple thing to eat. And oftentimes we're in the Martha mentality of hospitality. We got we to gotta throw it all out there. And I love that. But you know what? I like, I like it when people invite me over and, and their house is lived in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in those houses where you, you're afraid to take your kids? Right? You, you come in and everything looks like a magazine. And you're like, should I move this pillow? Should I sit down here? Should I take my shoes off? What You don't really know. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that people like that are at hospitals. But you know what? It's kind of cool when your shoes are dirty and they haven't vacuumed in a week and you can come in and, you're, and it's okay, right? I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm not talking about our house, honey. I'm not talking about us. You know what I've learned is the key to ho- hospitality is, is just being real. And I think sometimes we make it so hard, we think it's got to be this huge thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. We invite people over and we think we've got we to gotta roll out the red carpet. And that's okay. You can do that. That's great. But when you, if you're more tired at the end of the night from bringing someone over for dinner, then you miss the point, I think. You know what I mean? 
just be real, not trying to impress people, but just simply enjoying one another's company. Next portion of scripture says this, a lover of good, um, self-controlled, upright, holy one, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And I'm reminded of this when I read that. I think of David's mighty uh, men, and one of them was Eleazar. And in 2 Samuel 23, 9 through 10, it says this, And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. He had to be tough. He was the son of Dodo, son of Ahoi. Uh, he, was, he was with David when they def- defied the Philistines who were gathered before the battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. That means that he grabbed his sword and he just kept fighting and fighting and fighting until his hand was so locked in on his sword that he couldn't drop it. Anybody ever held something so long that you just couldn't let go? And he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to uh, to strip the slain. So may we be those. I love this. This is a great picture. This is There's great application to this. May we be those whose hands cling to the word of God. That we use the word of God and we're just knocking the knocking the socks off the enemy and in the process our hands just just basically solidify to the word of God I love that amen and and who don't let go who don't back down who who and 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 we just we allow the word of God to change us and to work through us I um, you know I've always heard this a Bible falling apart is usually a sign of someone who is not When you're reading your Bible and it's it's and the pages are worn, I, I love that. I, I it's amazing to me because I, I look inside my my wife's Bible and she's a note taker and and she'll take her notes from previous Bibles and move them all over into her new new Bible, and and I love that. But you know, doing that opens the Word of God in our hearts. Amen. And it says, I, I love this. Get in the Word. Stay in the Word. Make it a non-negotiable priority in your life. How many want the word of God to be in your life? You know what? You would thwart off a lot of your enemies if you would learn to put the word of God to use. The sword of, and use the word of God, the, the, the truth, and just begin to just knock the enemy off his high horse. Next portion of this says, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. This is why we, this is why we, <laughs> We love the word of God. This portion right here, he has to know the, the Bible because they, they must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who, have, who contradict it. So when there's issues like there was in Crete, when you're dealing with people who have different belief systems than you, you got to know your word of God. So he's telling us to deal with these issues in Crete, Titus, you have to be a man of the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be men and women of the word of God. In this time of darkness, in this time of deception, you've got to know what the word of God says about you, what it says for you. Amen? In order to deal with the challenges that are, are, are sure to come our way, the word will lead you. And I'm learning this as a pastor, that the word of God 
is my best defense to most issues that I face. It is. It truly is. It corrects me and it corrects the others. Hey, sometimes I read the word of God and it, it leaves me black and blue sometimes. And I need that. And you need that. And we need that. Verse 10 says this. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those uh, of the circumcision party. Uh, the Judaizers, you know, if you've heard me talk about the, the books of the Bible where we talk about other, Paul would come in and he would, he would deal with an issue and people would get saved. And behind him would become these, come these Christian Jews and they would come in and say, Paul is, is halfway right, but you need to be circumcised and you need to follow these rules and you need to eat these things and you need to follow these festivals and these things on the calendar. And the Judaizers with whom that he dealt with in Jerusalem and Paul's saying this, they're going to come your way, Titus. Just be ready. Titus, those who will, who will try to place regulations and burden upon others. And the only way to defend against them is with sound doctrine. And let me tell you something. You won't have sound doctrine unless you know the word of God. Look at this. Verse 11 says this. And he's talking about the Judaizers. They must be silenced. People preaching legalism and bondage about what today, uh, what day-to-day -day worship should be or shouldn't be. I'm not talking against biblical standards. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are preaching things that, that are, are, um, are not necessarily, that are just legalism. That's just, just plain legalism. How, how they dress, what you should eat. It goes without being said. Obviously, it's not legalism if the Bible calls it a sin. The Bible calls it sin, it's, it's the truth. Like it, love it, doesn't matter. You don't get a say in it. It's what the Bible says. And, 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 and many people preach legalism and bondage out of their own convictions at times. And I, I think you ought to live by convictions. And I believe that, we, that God, as we grow in him, he gives us different convictions. But let me tell you something, you need to be very, very careful. You need to be very careful what you preach because if it doesn't line up with the word of God, you've missed it. All right? All right, I know it's quiet on that one, but all right. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game, for uh, shameful game that they ought not to teach. And I wonder, <laughs> as I read this, I wonder how many ministries would continue if they didn't have money coming in. Well, it makes one thing. Verse 12 says this. One of the Cretans, a prophet, I alluded to him earlier, of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul says in the beginning of verse 13, this testimony is true. So here's the, the Cretan poet, philosopher, Epimenides, I don't know how to say his name, Epimenides, called his own people liars and gluttons. And Paul is saying, it's what that guy said, that's what they are. And think about this. That's not really a politically correct statement. I don't know if how well Paul would do in our world today. He would definitely rub, rub some people the wrong way. But I like Paul's courage and I like his boldness. And I like his honesty here. Sometimes the truth just needs to be said. And you need to do it in love. But sometimes the truth just needs to be said. Right or wrong, whether it agrees with you or doesn't agree with you, the truth needs to be said. All right. That's for you, Washington. All right. 
he's okay, and I like this because Paul's bold here. He's, he's okay going on record for saying, hey, false ministers are in it for the money, and the Cretans, they're prone to lies and they're lazy. He's, that's a pretty bold statement. Next, next portion says, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And the Cretans, they're behaving here according to their stereotypes. Oh, I'm just a liar. I'm just lazy. How many times do we just follow stereotypes that people have put on us? Well, you're just you're just from Indiana. You're just from Lawrence County, so you you that's why you think the way you think. Or that you know, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying. But how often do we do we fall into stereotypes? So easy to do. But Paul's saying this: when people do that, rebuke them. Rebuke them. Sometimes we need a little shaking and rebuking in our thought process in our everyday life. I need that. We need that. Paul tells Titus here, hey, rebuke them if they're acting in that way. Look at this, verse 14. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Uh, where it's ministering to the, whether it's ministering to the Cretans uh, with, with laziness or the Jews who are wrapped up in legalism and tendencies of fables to distract people from the truth. Paul's saying this, Titus, keep your focus centered on Scripture. Wh- whoever you're dealing with, keep your focus centered on the Scripture. Psalms 119.105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Everyone, everyone say that with me. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. Say it again. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You heard something powerful right there. You heard something powerful and you spoke something powerful there. In this world where so many people have opinions, and I missed the world before we had social media because everyone's got an opinion now, right? But in a world where so many opinions and there's so many things that are dark. This week grieved my heart so much, so many so many crazy things going on. It's easy to get wrapped up and lost in our Christian journey. But you know what? The word of God is leading me. It is a light unto my path. And it is guiding me. And all this clutter and all this stuff can be going on. I know, hey, this is a sure foundation. I know I can step right here because God's got me. Know what the word of God says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse just says, keeping the word in your heart, for God will light your path. Verse 15, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Romans 6 9 says, Paul would say this to the church in Rome, I want you to be wise, knowledgeable in the things of, of God, but naive to the things which are evil. I don't know about you, that's a needed word for our current culture as well. Oftentimes, we focus on the evil and not the good things of God, and I wish oftentimes I would be naive of, the, of evil things, amen. Believers should be those who know, who know scripture like the back of their hands, but are clueless regarding to the tendencies of this world. Verse 16 says this, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. 
They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Everyone say good work. The, the world says this, don't judge me. It, said, you know, it tells us all the time, don't, you can't judge me. But didn't Jesus said, judge lest you be judged? And he did. Yes, Jesus did say that in Matthew 7, 1. But the Greek text renders the word, word judge, krino, which means judging to condemnation. But look at this. In the same chapter, Jesus went to say, you'll know false teachers and preachers by their, by their what? By their fruit. How are you going to know what someone's fruit is unless you're, you're, you're judging them? You want to know if someone is, to, to be able to identify somebody, you got to look at the fruit that is coming from their life. Are they following God or are they not following God? You'll know by the fruit that is coming from their life. In other words, we are not to judge others to condemnation, but we are to judge the fruit for the purpose of identification. And that's why Paul here is warning a young Titus to be aware of uh, re religionists and teachers whose works prove they don't know God. So if I could sum up this chapter, you know, just just in in this area the lord is telling us know the word of god let the spirit of god lead you let the let the word of god lead you in 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 paths of righteousness in this world where it's so easy to get cluttered help me out kentley in, in this in this world where it's so easy to get cluttered and to to be distracted and and the devil works in distractions if he could take your eyes off of god and get you distracted with this let me tell you something sometimes that makes us where we're not doing what god has asked us to do or required us to do and i've never seen so much distraction and so much deception in in all my days it's easy to get hard in your heart it's easy to say man this this is terrible god why don't you do something about this but can i tell you something on a personal level you know many of us if we'll take the word of god and we'll begin to just pour it into our hearts we'll begin to read it we'll begin to meditate on it when we don't know what to do <laughs> the word of god will come out of us and it will direct us and show us where we need to go amen Will you stand with me?